Hey everybody, it's John. I wanted to remind you that we do have a Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash alien minute. Over there on Patreon, Mitch and I discuss subjects concerning movies and television and just about anything else we want to talk about. So uh, if you want to come over there, you can subscribe for $2 a month for one episode or $5 a month for every episode at patreon.com forward slash alien minute. Thank you. everybody and welcome back to the alien minute podcast i'm john ingle and i'm mitch bryan and today we're dedicating one single episode to the 1997 film alien resurrection these were very very hard to come by so was our cargo Whatever you got going on here ain't exactly approved by Congress. It's a military operation. Really? Who are you? Ripley Ellen, Lieutenant First Class, number 36706. Ellen Ripley died 200 years ago. You're a thing, a construct. They grew you in a lab. What the hell is going on here? He is breeding an alien species. Wish you could understand what we're trying to do here. Now they brought it out of you. Not all the way out. You want to tell us what this is? It's a queen. She'll breed. You'll die. Ellen Ripley died trying to wipe the species out. I'm not anxious to see her taking up her old hobby. feel it. I can hear it moving. So I hear you, like, ran into these things before. Yeah. What did you do? I died. We're moving. That's a standard emergency procedure. Any serious problem in the ship autopilots back to home base. What's home base? Earth. nice hearing the uh, sound effects of the beginning of alien minute podcast oh yeah very takes me back it's very yeah. nostalgic hopefully it takes some other people back um it has a nice nostalgic feel to some people that have been with us for six years i think M- many of whom have asked when are we going to talk about have the alien oh, resurrection many many might be an oh, exaggeration many is an overstatement Co- okay. a couple of people have asked <laughs> at least uh but yeah, we have had the, you know, I mean, I think there's the co- people that w- want us to be completionists. Yeah. So there was the discussion of Alien 3. We did do that. We gave it four episodes, correct? We did. We um, really dug into it. And then we've never talked about another Alien movie since. And there's a few other ones to talk about that maybe we'll get to in single episodes. There's 
folks, I got to tell you, there's really no way we're ever doing a Movies by Minute podcast again. And we'll probably never take any of these and break them down even as much as we did Alien 3. But we are here to talk about Alien Resurrection as we thought, yeah, it might be nice to get in, get back into the world of Ripley and the xenomorphs and so on. So having just watched it, and I hadn't seen it in years, I wanted to talk a little bit about the pleasures of the movie or the or or what it is the movie's chasing, whether it delivers mm-hmm. those pleasures or not. And so I just think about Alien One as a horror film and the and Aliens as an action film. And Alien Three is this kind of strange hybrid of I mean, I think that was the that's how we why we struggled with it because it it, it was trying really hard to be its own thing mm-hmm. in its own reality and its own and and it gets huge points for that. But this one, I'm not sure what the pleasures are. I mean, it's it's fairly clear what they are attempting to be, and um, why that's so clear often is because you kind of find yourself groaning a little at the attempt like you can see them reaching for something and you'll go okay i think that they're reaching backwards is what i think they're attempting to do for the most part in attaining any kind of pleasures in this film um there's an attempt at some i think like a fresher perspective we could talk about that a little bit too Mm -hmm. i've i i you know I, i will say we just mitch and i just watched the movie together we didn't do a ton of background research. We're just kind of talking about the movie itself, so we don't have every story uh, about the background of the movie and the production of it. Um, so it's this, this isn't that kind of episode. This might be good for a discussion in the in the Facebook group afterwards for people that do know more about this than us. But I do seem to remember hearing that Joss Whedon um, wrote the script and had a, had an original idea of how the movie should f- feel that got lost in the translation. So we'll just go from that point of view i'm pretty sure that's true and we'll go from there and say there um some attempts at original pleasures unique pleasures that we didn't get in the previous films and there's some that are clearly trying to tick boxes from the from the earlier films so first i guess maybe we could just kind of summarize what we think you know you you said genre wise i guess you kind of summed it up already with the genre uh discussion so what do you think mitch What, what what do we have starting from the beginning of this film what are we going for so I guess what I would answer that would be to say I I want to look at this in like different buckets. Mm. One bucket is Alien Bingo. Okay. Which is kind of what Cameron did well in the sequel to Alien. He had callbacks to chest bursters and things that we know are now part of the Alien mythology. This movie, because it's got three predecessors, seems very, very determined to check every single box that has existed not so much from alien three but although there is there's at least one box that gets checked from alien three so that that's one in, that's one intention the other thing is there's the josh whedon version of this which is the buffy the vampire slayer tone firefly yeah. firefly cabin in the woods it's snarky and you know, tongue-in-cheek in places and referential. So there's that. Then there's this other thing, which is which is the director, which is City of Lost Children and Delicatessen and right. Micmacs and all that craziness, do right? You, do you remember 
when this movie came out, how you felt about him at the time. Uh, we're talking about Jean-Pierre Jeunet. Uh, this is his, I believe, his first foray into solo directing, correct? And then right. uh, previously it was it was Delicatessen and City of Lost Children would have been his like notable films, right? Right. So, uh, did, were you a fan of those two? Or did you get excited to go? Oh, this will be an interesting uh, point of view for the Alien universe when you heard that he was directing it. No, because I think of him kind of the way that I think of Terry Gilliam, right? Which is just exaggerated and comedic. Mm-hmm. So that's the other part of this. Maybe this really is a dark comedy. There are so many shots that are framed like comedies, and then you've got moments that I'm sure we'll talk about that it's impossible to see it as anything but a comedic shot and not comedic like the kind of comedy that exists in aliens, which is a kind of gallows humor, tough talk, you know, shrewd kind of comedy. This is a really different kind of comedy. It's a really obvious, grotesque, um, almost parody. Yeah. Specifically in the first 10 minutes or so, like I get a, a strong three stooges vibe from, our trio on the ship, your Hedaya, uh, uh, Brad Dorf, Brad Dorf, and, and, and Jay Freeman, give me a real Mo, Larry, and Curly kind of feeling. A few of the shots, I th- I don't, I can't help but feel one super even the one part where he shot. kind of slaps himself. He's like, "Oh, I'm so yeah. stupid." It almost feels like yeah. they were really kind of going for a Three Stooges uh, suggestion, at least there. And there's a whole bunch of comedic business with Hadaya is definitely not a character to be taken seriously. Right, right. At all. And and not but not like Carter Burke, who's a comedic character, or Hudson, who's a comedic character, right. but who both are consistent in terms of the reality that they exist in mm-hmm. and the reality of the movie. Sometimes I think I'm way more likely to forgive a plot inconsistency. But when character inconsistencies happen, there's something that's really dissonant about it, you know. Yeah, yeah. So there, well, so those are some things to talk about. And I guess the other thing too is just this question of uh, there's a part of this movie that's, I guess, kind of like the box checking. That's almost like a nature documentary of like we have to show you everything that you know the alien is capable of doing, mm-hmm. and we have to be sure that you're able to observe it as, as closely as possible. So somehow with Alien and Aliens, and to a lesser degree, but this is a bit of a problem with Alien 3, I guess, is that you sw- you get away from the characters and you just start kind of obsessing. The filmmakers are just obsessing over the monster. Right. And when it's right there and you can see it and you can watch it and you're observing it, that's very different than in in one, two, and to a lesser degree, three, where it's out there and you mm-hmm. can't see it because you're mm-hmm. afraid it's going to come and get you. I think what I think what happened. Like this is just a theory. I think they got the the idea that the evolution of the alien was more interesting than to the audience than it really is, and maybe it is interesting to a lot of people. That's fine, but um, in the first one. There's kind of there's that suggestion we discussed it a lot during Alien Minute, uh, where it's like, well, it's kind of crazy how quickly this thing grows and what exactly is it made of? Is it part human? And all those discussions happen, but it was just that's not really what drove the film in any way. And then uh, in Aliens, there is this hierarchy that's created, like, okay, now there's a queen alien, which I think is great. It raises the stakes and creates a um, 
a big boss for the action climax, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then from there, it seems as though this idea of it of the breeding, the genetics, the it becomes more central a little bit in three, and in this one, it's almost they think I think it's kind of driving the movie in a weird way because they give it so much importance as far as specifically the that big scene towards the end with Dorif. Uh, suddenly we haven't seen him in an hour, but suddenly he's cocooned and spouting scientific exposition about, uh, you've now created the perfect, it's like, yeah. I mean, the thing was perfect as far as I I remember it being perfect in the first movie. Yeah. Um, that was part of the deal. But, uh, so I think part of that is, is what is happening there. They were talking about this over focus on the creature and what it can, can't do. And then trying to add something to that then becomes so central to the movie that a lot of other things get lost in it. And and it makes you wonder almost was Whedon or whoever, I don't know. I imagine there was other people that got their hands on the script. Right. But um, were they given a mandate of, okay, you're going to have an action sequence here or you're going to have a horror moment here. Make sure that it's there's some burning acid make sure that they're make sure all these things are there ever along the way and then the it's on the writer then to create something from that point i think that's bad that's not a good place to start from uh it would have been nice to start from the character choices being creating the situations right or right start by establishing characters that we care about so that these moments at least have some gravitas where i think we can get into that pretty soon because that's a big part of the first act of the movie is I don't know who I'm supposed to care about in this movie. It's really difficult to find someone to attach myself to. So then when de- character deaths start happening, it starts. I start focusing on that kind of minutia right. that we're talking about that isn't that interesting. Right, you know? right. It's that. So, and and there is always the pick them off quality to this movie and others where we're going to watch these people being knocked off one after another after another, and that's become yet another part of the alien bingo. You kind of have to have. You, you know that that's going to happen. I don't know whether Whedon brought his fanboy game to that, and so it wasn't hard. The studio didn't have to ask him to hit all of those boxes yeah. because that's what a fan, I guess, of these movies would naturally gravitate towards. True. So I, I, I'm not sure. I think the other thing, too, when we have to look at it in uh, in a historical context, and granted, we watch it now, and we know a lot more about Joss Whedon than probably we knew then. But certainly, there's, you know, there's echoes of Buffy in this thing, and 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 Firefly had Firefly come already, or would it come after? I don't think any of his shows had happened yeah. yet, right? Um, no, I think Buffy was early two thousands. Yeah. I'm not. I'll, I'll admit right now, I'm not a big Joss Whedon fan. Yeah, I, I didn't care about Buffy, and I really didn't care about Firefly either. Right. I kind of like, oh, he, he did a good job with the first Avengers movie, and that's about my extent <laughs> of loving uh, Joss Whedon. We won't get into other things about him that are uh, uh, why we don't see hear much from him these days. But uh, but, but I don't know what he was. But at looking this point at it time. now with our eyes in you know 2022, we're actually conscious of a lot of legacy that has has happened since then. Right. So that and part of that would also be looking back on this movie as an action movie in the late 90s because what was happening to the action movie in the late 90s and the action spectacle film was the big dumb and loud syndrome right. the big dumb loud and brutal syndrome by the time you get to the late 90s because the it, they become ultra violent on top of 
big, dumb, and loud. So there's that going on with it as well. It's, it's almost like to look at it as an action film is to see it as this kind of pastiche where you're right. There's like, okay, now we need a set piece where we're going to have acid. Now we need a set piece. We're going to do something different underwater. We've never done that. Let's do a, an underwater set piece. Mm-hmm. But it's very much constructed like an action film, not like a horror film. Um, and I guess that's because everybody looks at aliens and says that made a lot of money and it was because it was an action right. hybrid film. And at this point, there was a lot. I mean, is this the same year as Event Horizon? It's got. It's pretty close. Yeah, the, I know and, that this is the same year as Starship Troopers was being filmed. Jurassic Park Two: Lost World was being filmed. Right. And there was something else because there was a there was a storage studio. There was a studio shortage of space, and it was filmed in Los Angeles. It's the only one that wasn't shot in England. Right. Yeah, Starship Troopers was the same. As a matter of fact, I think it came out before this. Um, it, but Buffy, by the way, came out earlier in the year. It premiered in the spring of this year, and this movie was like a kind of Thanksgiving release. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 There was a strange kind of brutalist uh, action science fiction where I, when you watch Starship Troopers, which got a lot of mixed reactions at the time because right. it was a little bit harder to understand, um, Verhoeven's a guy who comes to a, comes by it naturally. Right. Right, like I did keep my. Th- I asked you while we were watching the movie earlier um, if this was the same year as Starship Troopers because I, c- I kept thinking, what if Verhoeven did this movie? Yeah, and how much better it would have been because he would come to a lot of this stuff natural. He would have had a wild idea on set about how to do these certain scenes differently. And I imagine that the characters, for instance, uh, the there's the one female crew member that's not Winona Ryder who gets nothing in this movie. It's just nothing to do but to be a lover to one guy, to be sad when he dies, and then to die herself. And how I feel like Verhoeven would have given her some oomph, you know, yeah. like in his weird way. Yeah. I wouldn't necessarily say it would be the most sensitive way of doing it, probably, but he would have given her some kind of a push where you well, you got in Starship Troopers with the female it, characters. It's, it's weird because even if somebody like Jan de Bont had directed this or mm. just there's a bunch of other action directors who were making movies in the 90s, I think almost any of them would have been maybe a better choice than to go yeah. with these guys who make this quirky, grotesque, or really honestly embrace it as a comedy and really have gone from the get-go. And I would have been okay with that too if actually it had been really funny and it had, but it you know wouldn't dare do that. I just I, maybe they really were trying. I don't know, but it it is. There's a lot of lost in translation going on here. Um, I think with the intent versus what we got on the screen. Because you're right, like the comedy stuff falls away sometimes. It just like disappears, and then it kind of rears its head again. And then there there are these sort of action movie quips mm-hmm. that pop up at times that are seem like not the right time. And you wonder if that was a on a script level or if that's that got moved to this one moment for some reason. Well, we need a little comic relief here, but it's like, whoa, actually, that was not the right time for that. Like there was certain Ripley was she had too many quips and it was very strange. Like well, that's probably a good time, place to start. Let's talk yeah. about Ripley as a character. Okay, it's interesting even as a subject because is this Ripley? I guess is she even a character? I not really. <laughs> like it's very hard to discuss this Ripley because the Ripley we know died, and this is a clone. The eighth clone of Ripley, right? Uh, that's the the idea that we're supposed to get. 
in the big scene where she finds the other seven. Right. And um, there's this implication, or I guess not even implication, there's this direct addressing of her memory that she seems to have some memory of being the Ripley we know. And that's confusing to me. And they don't get into it far enough to really explain it. But how do we discuss her? She's just kind of... Well, do you Some think it would have been better if they, had, if they had taken the time to show us how this Ripley is either educated to understand what happened in the past or begins to manifest uh, memories, triggered memories of what happened in the past? Like, just so I could get into her headspace, so I could kind of understand whether this, to answer the question, yeah, what what Ripley is this? And what does it mean to be the eighth Ripley? And what does it mean in terms of her own how she sees herself, you know, how right. others are going to see her. And it seems like that's the kind of thing that, um, and maybe, I don't know, maybe it's in this extra 13 minute director's cut, which I've never seen, but I kind of doubt it because that seems to me to be a major choice that has to be made in mm -hmm. terms of how this, how, if they can spend all the time explaining how these aliens work, they should have at least been able to spend a few minutes to determine how this cloning thing works and where is consciousness and how does, how does the consciousness of the clone develop if, in fact, there's supposed to be Ellen Ripley? That I, would have helped me get inside the movie. Yeah, I, and it would have given us, like we were discussing earlier, the, someone to attach ourselves to. So we should automatically be attached to Ripley. We know Ripley. She's clearly the franchise at this point. Yet they don't really give her a character in this film to, to grab onto. They try to give her a little bit at the beginning with her and Brad Dorf talking over lunch or whatever. But, um, yeah, I don't feel it. I think I'm with you. I mean, th the weird thought that goes through my head is if I were um, hired to write this movie, it was like, look, you got to write a fourth alien movie. It's got to have Ripley in it. Scorny Weaver's got to be in it. I probably would have been tempted to make her the villain. <laughs> like, uh -huh. like, I would have probably, like, to do something out like you could kind of follow the trajectory of this character but the real ripley in the end the real ripley is gone and even if there's echoes her commitment is going to be to the alien now mm -hmm. and she sides with the alien and they have to fight her at the end i don't know something like that would have been more interesting to me and then you would give winona a call the character winona writer's character call you give her more agency which I think, I don't know. I love Winona Ryder. I always have, but she struggles a little bit in this movie. And I think I don't know if it's because she's supposed to be playing this what is revealed to be an android later, um, synthetic. Who's capable uh, of getting drunk? Who's apparently no? She's capable of acting like acting she's drunk. like she's drunk. Yeah, um, but uh, if she could have carried the movie more. Like if we could have had a two hander with Winona. And, Ripley, which mm -hmm. I think that's what they're trying to do. Yeah. But if we could have succeeded in having them break at some point or like be at uh, um, uh, the opposite end at some point, something like that would have been more interesting to me. As far as what we get here, how they could have improved upon it is tough. I think your solution is the only way. You're going to have to tell me how exactly she is Ripley still. And instead, they kind of just ask the question a couple of times and it's kind of like, I don't know. I kind of remember being me. Hey, I, I can fly this ship because I used to be Ripley, who wasn't a pilot. Right. But anyway, knows how to fly the ship. Um, 
I don't know, man. The the more I'm trying to answer your question, the more kind of lost I am in what they were trying to do. Well, well, we've also got these different groups of humans, right? We've got the group of scientists, mm-hmm. which are affiliated with the military, but then there's actually a group of more military-ish than scientist-ish group, right? right? So, that you, so that's the old 50s paradigm of the scientists versus the military. Right. Then you've got the crew of the Betty, the and then you've got Ripley and, pirates. and Call. Yeah. yeah, and the crew of the Betty is this. Are they're yeah, they're basically pirates, right? They're pirates. Yeah, space pirates. So space outlaws. All that's good, you know. Like, and what we end up doing is um, distilling it down. So we kill off a couple of Betty mem- crew members, and then we only have one surviving or on-screen scientist and one military guy who's an underling because we kill off the general. Right. Um, that's all good stuff. You know, we got that's a we're basically right back, aren't we kind of right back where we were with aliens in a way. Mm-hmm. Only the scientist is the is what Burke was and the and the soldier is what uh Gorman was, right? Right. right. So, uh and then the rest of the ragtag crew where I guess Winona kind of takes up the Ripley uh in a way. I I don't know, it's tough. Uh I was trying we talked at, at the beginning of the movie Towards the beginning of the movie, we did talk about whether or not they were going to try to do this like direct pickoff that would resemble Alien, and I'm not sure they really did because I don't think there was just that many analogs to talk about. Um, but uh, an analog being the crew of the Betty versus meaning the crew yeah, of the, who the who on the Betty is who? I, I, Michael Wincott could very easily be the Dallas, and it's interesting they kill him off first. Yeah, um, I guess that was supposed to be a surprise. Maybe Michael Wincott. I love Michael Wincott, by the way. But maybe he was considered to be a little bit more of a star at that time than he is now. He didn't quite get there, um, even though he's fantastic. Uh, I can't hear the guy talk without hearing him as his character in Dead Man, by the way. It's very hard for me to divorce him from that character. I always think of him from The Crow. From The Crow, really. I always think of him blathering. He'd be in the motor mouth in Dead Man. So when he's talking, I just hear him saying all that stuff. Anyway. Well, uh, so, you know, there's that that scene where... Michael Wincott and Dan Idea are conducting this cash right. transaction, right. and they're talking about who's more fuckable, and and it's you know it's this sort of crass scene. And I I remember watching that scene, thinking, why have we taken time to break point of view away from characters who we might be wanting to get to know to watch yeah. these two jackasses do this? It's so bizarre because I don't even. You're getting a little bit of exposition. I mean, they're setting up why they're going to give them the bodies that they're going to use to, to implant the aliens into. But I, I don't know. This, it seems to me that's one of those missteps where it's kind of like, I don't need to have this omniscient exposition with secondary characters. I need to be digging in with somebody that you want yeah. me to invest in and what is their journey through this through this this adventure. Yeah, I can't think of one thing we get out of that scene that we couldn't have gotten from the... I would have been more interested in seeing Call, pretending to be drunk, asking shrouded questions to try to get some idea what they're doing there. Because she's, she's in the dark, right? Right. So maybe she asks a couple questions, so at least I start to get the hint of, of what she's up to a beat earlier than, oh, I'm drunk. Oh, no, I'm not drunk, and I'm going to go talk to Ripley. It's like, when she goes to talk to Ripley, I wouldn't have minded getting a little bit more detective work in beforehand or uh-huh. something to give me some insight. At least get me on her side, because I'm also, I also don't know what they're doing exactly, and maybe they could have withheld that a little bit. 
Like, take those guys into the room, shut the door, and don't show me the eggs and all that crap. Like, not yet. Yeah. I would have been more interested in seeing them, like, go into that room, give me a good solid sense of geography so that we know when they return to that room, right? So we know, oh, we're back at that place that you weren't allowed to go to. Hmm, there's a mystery in there. And when we get in there, we see open eggs. Right. And people with chestburst. And it's like, oh, shit, that's what they were doing. I would have been more interested in creating a mystery about that, which then gives us something to go along on an investigation with Winona. Mm-hmm. And then we get or on her side more. She's more of a character and somebody that we can go on a ride with where we just don't get it. Like she gets she acts like she's drunk. Then she's not. We got all this information. We got this weird scene between two guys that are going to be dead within five minutes. So is, what yeah. do you think? Yeah, like, what's yeah. the explanation well, for I, that? Yeah, why why make that choice? That's this whole question about you just said you're on the ride. And I kept waiting, like, when am, when am I on the ride? Right. When is this thing on the rails? And I kind of understand what it's asking of me as an audience member to invest in or to be curious about. Um, and it kind of never quite gets there. And I don't know whether, again, that's European sensibilities of the, the director kind of clashing with a... Probably there's a you know writing by committee thing because the studio wants to have their sequel, and then Joss Whedon maybe bringing this fanboy mentality into this whole thing of wanting to check all the boxes, and so you kind of don't get to position the audience in anywhere. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, we're we're playing a weird game of kind of catch up all the way through, including the explanation about Ripley being told she was cloned from blood that they found that was frozen on fury 16 that they had that they had cloned her with right, right. and that's like i want to know i wanted the answer to that I, i'd actually like to know a little bit more now that they've opened that can of worms but that's okay yeah. um so yeah i don't well, know what the mystery is or what i'm supposed to and, and it's as simple as this you know structurally speaking a film you should know what kind of film you're watching what kind of story you're being told right. maybe more specifically because in this case, we know it's a sci-fi action horror movie. Let me go into the door, but at every point, we should know what the what kind of genre, what's the engine, right? So right now, we don't have any action. We don't have any sci-fi to speak of outside of the setting. Choose choose an adventure. <laughs> yeah, You're right. Are we? Yeah. Let's be on a detective story now because that's really what's happening. Like what what they hoped maybe to get out of that one shot of Winona uh, call recognizing Ripley mm-hmm. in the basketball scene, mm-hmm. they didn't get as much mileage out of that, I don't think, as they could have. Like, So we get this, like, she perks up at the mention of Ripley, so immediately we're like, oh, now she, we're with her now. She's curious about what's going on with Ripley. But then they drop it for a good long time to go hang out with other people and cut between other people, you know, have this silly basketball scene and uh, establish Ron Perlman's character as being a creep. I don't know what that's all about, like what exactly we get out of all that. Where we could have just gone, look, the genre we're in right now for just a, a sequence or so is going to be a detective story. Winona wants to find out more about what's going on. We want to find out with her. You got to do that with movies. That's how you get to, that's how we, that's like the first, if you're going on a ride, you got to get on the roller coaster, you got to strap in, you got to go up a hill and come down it at some point. It's not just, you can't just ask me to say, hey, it's a uh, it's a ride, I, I get it, but I don't feel like I'm on a ride. Do we even know that it's been 200 years since Ripley died, or do we, does that only come out when 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 Carl says that to Ripley? She's like, Ellen Ripley died 200 years ago. 
I think we get, uh, I'm trying to remember, I feel like we do get ideas earlier that it's much later. I, do, do we not get the supers at the beginning that tell us what year it is and all that stuff? I, yeah, maybe I, I, maybe I remember I, like maybe I was looking at the crew notes. manifest and all that stuff, like all that information yeah. um, where they, you know, while they're doing the cue from Alien for that. Yeah, right, right where we're right, prowling stuff. through those corridors, and yeah. you're kind of like, oh, God, this is alien. But I don't think I realized it was 200 years later. May, I, I can't remember. I remember kind of feeling that way, but then again, I've seen the movie before, so I might have just thought, known. Right. Like, you get, you know that it's farther into the future by quite a bit, so you just get that idea. But whether we know specifically, it might not be until she talks to So we people. know we've got that idea. We know we've got a cloning idea. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and then after Call and Ripley have their first scene together, um, at what I think is kind of the end, of, close to the end of the first act, um, Ripley says, "I feel the creature. I feel it behind my eyes. I feel it." So we've mm. now got another idea, which is some kind of psychic link that is kind of uttered, but again, isn't totally exploited. It's it's like they're throwing a lot of ideas out, and then I'm not sure which ones they're deciding they're going to really. So she she explore. says that. Very, so almost simultaneously, right? Um, we we jump right into the crew gets captured, caught. Uh, she gets caught sneaking out, and then the crew is blamed. You know, they're all in it together. Well, simultaneously, Brad Dorf's character is playing a game with the one of the aliens, and on the other the side aliens of the glass. break out, right? Yeah, yeah. So all this is happening simultaneously, and the, then the next hint of the psychic link is that when the aliens break out, Ripley can feel it, right? So we get that suggestion again. But then it takes a while to really pay off in any way, and I'm not sure if I would even call it a payoff. Right. Is it? it there might have been something in between, but the next time I remember there being anything out to take from that psychic link is when she can feel... Oh, the mother's down there, and she goes down right. onto the floor. That's and that's that's an hour later. That's at least an hour later. Yeah. So, um, you would think that I can't remember. Maybe I'm missing something. Um, but you would think that that psychic link they could use that for their to their advantage from time to time, stay alive for a while, until finally it becomes her empathy towards the alien. And instead over, of that, yeah, instead of using that as a way to drive the story, they decide no. Instead, let's use the idea of her blood. And that she can use that as a weapon and that she's super strong. And suddenly it's almost like we're in a superhero movie. Right. Which is super weird. Super Ripley. Yeah. <laughs> which, you know, that brings us to the, um, you know, we get, I, 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 you know, I think it's clever enough that she uses her blood to cut through wires to open the door. I think it's, um, her super strength is a little bit, I guess it makes sense since she's supposed to be both yeah. things and the alien is stronger. So... I guess if you can use that, sure. But wouldn't that, shouldn't that be what the whole movie's about? Which then it, it should isn't. should be what the whole movie's <laughs> it's about. Just a, it's just a gimmick. At least more so. But we do get to that, the underwater sequence. I mean, we're skipping over some stuff, but I'm not sure. If, do you have anything that's important? <laughs> I don't well, really. I, I just I just wanted to, to point out that this, um, when, when the, the next beat after she uses her blood as a superpower is the death of Dan Hadea. Where, um, just the goofiest thing the you've ever seen. It's so life. goofy. It's so, again, it's like this weird kind of quirky comedy. Uh, and 
and I, I don't know like what I'm supposed to feel as a, I don't know what I can feel except maybe to laugh. I don't know that I think that's got to be the emotion it's trying to generate. And I don't know where, I don't, I'm still not sure where laughs are supposed to be generated in this, in this world, in this story. Like I know that Ron Perlman's saying all sorts of things that are maybe funny, or you've got all the business with the basketball and this crazy ricochet trick shot that can hit people in the head and you've got, I don't know, you know, so I, so it gets me it gets me a little confused. We do know that once the Betty crew is kind of out and we're kind of with them and there's an alien hunt going on, so we're like, okay, that I remember that. I know that kind of a story. Um, it doesn't last it doesn't last very long, mm-hmm. um, but it really does start investing in the the mechanics of the alien as a killing machine. So we're back to that kind of nature doc- documentary thing. Right. Um, but so Ripley then arrives in the midst of all of that business and kind of joins up with the remaining members of the crew. And I think we were saying that that's, that feels like it's the middle of the movie. Right. Yeah. And, um, and her big, her big line rather than, okay, let's go kick their asses or let's go is who do I have to fuck to get off this boat? Which is just bad. That's just like <laughs> some really crappy nineties humor question mark. Yeah, there's all kinds of bits of that where I'm like, okay, where does that come from? That's not Ripley. So, our let's say we sat Is down with Joss Whedon. Yes, <laughs> let's say we sat down with Joss Whedon and he had to answer this question, and I said, "You tell me what motivates a a statement like that from her in this movie." Go now. What do you think his answer would be? That somehow the alien's presence in her makes her say things like that. Because that's not something Ripley would ever say, I don't think. Not at least not in that way. Yeah. And and so, it's like well, we're back to the question of who is she as a character? Like who am I dealing with here? Because this doesn't feel like Ripley, and you're not really giving me much else to go on because that's a real like I don't know cookie cutter kind of line. Like you could pull that out of any like a Jean Claude Van Damme movie or a Schwarzenegger. Yeah. And it's like, well, th- this doesn't feel unique to Ripley or Scorny Weaver as an actress or anything. I'm kind of almost surprised she was willing to say the line, to be honest with you. Uh, there's a couple of other moments like that in the movie where. But yeah, who's, who is it? Is it? Who's, who is speaking this? Because I don't believe the aliens know how that. I don't think they no, make that joke. So yeah, it's only it's something it's more only this version of ephemeral Ripley, than that. But has, yeah. Has she been programmed by somebody to. I don't know. It's so bizarre. I don't either. And that's like, and I'm not trying to to shit all over the movie or pick at nits. I'm actually trying to find, as we talk through this, try to find the movie because right after this, okay, we get another one, uh, which is actually kind of terrifying, which is this discovery of the other seven alien human hybrids. And it's like a scene out of the Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro movie with babies in, in formaldehyde that are grotesque. And, Mm -hmm. and then the big, punchline being a version of herself that's still alive that's been fused with this alien and and in a way those are all kinds of new ideas and then apparently somebody in the franchise just can't help themselves and we got to check another box of something somebody has already said somebody to kill you again yeah so that's where the groany stuff comes from and honestly i don't i don't know how i feel about the placement of this scene in the movie either it's it's like is this the place where this kind of thing should happen? It almost feels like a third act thing, yeah, where she could have been. You're right. She could have been 
very self-confident, very helpful. Like everything's going good until this moment breaks her down. Mm-hmm. And then also people should have been reacting to this because it seems very like a very strange choice for them to say, yeah, you do what you got to do, girl. That when they just were talking about not making themselves known, like if we can you know, get through the corridors and we can not make ourselves known to them. Uh, maybe we can get back to wherever. I, I Honestly, I forget what the whole goal, when they're going from place to place, what it always is. But here, I would have felt like there could have been some built-up tension and drama if this was like, we're almost there, then this happens, and then she fucks it up by overreacting, quote-unquote, uh-huh. and everybody's going, stop, what the... And yeah, this, yeah, yeah, this yeah. Is, now they're in a lot of trouble. She just basically set off an alarm. Something like that could have yeah, made this so much more interesting, but this felt like... Obligatory, in in a way, and we're going to show every single one of these explode in slow motion. It's action spectacle stuff for no other reason than just to keep it big, dumb, and loud, and just keep it keep it happening. You know. So the big, dumb, and loud could have created a problem, raised the stakes. Then I could have gone with it. But in this case, it's kind of like, yeah, nothing really came of that. And I don't care about the character enough for her to get this catharsis out of it. I don't know, man. I, I just don't... A lot of the placement of, of events in this movie are baffling to me. I, and that's the big one. Where while I was watching, I was like, this is too early for this. I just don't understand why this is happening right now. Yeah. And it doesn't really raise the stakes. It doesn't really do anything. Well, they uh, they, anyway. they then come across uh, a lot of dead people and one survivor who's... Um, I can't think... I don't know the guy's name. I refer to him as 90s crying guy. Right. So he's the guy from Seven who, um, you know, is forced to use the knife dildo and he cries and he has an amazing scene. Like he can really cry oh, and be yeah. all messed up. And then in Saving Private Ryan, he's he's in the um, the glider that has crashed and he's crying there. And then now he finds out, poor bastard finds out that he's got a chest burster inside of right. him. And he's going to be crying and sad because of all of that. Um, in explanation of that, Ripley says... I'm the monster's mother to him. Yeah. I don't know exactly what provokes Kane's that. Kane's son. Kane's son, which we're thankfully is muttered, mumbled so that we could, I think I thought it was again some. So for years, I never really. Well, Kane's, Kane's son, son is cool because it's like. It's coming a from a scientist the guy is who's, making an extremely cold observation yeah. that's completely out of place that then we find out. Yeah, because he's, he's. Not a human, even. You and know? he's in on all of it. In this case, it's just like, why? I'm just trying to establish this mother thing. <laughs> Is that going to comfort you some more, Mr. Crying 90s well, man? Well, I can understand. So she's not interested in comforting him, right? Like, But again, I'm not sure where I stand with her at any point in the movie. So I really don't know what... Basically, anything she does, I really don't know why. Like, it's... At no point in this movie do I really get it until, until she has the alien orgy. Once she comes out of that, even though I don't think it's good what's happening, I at least understand where she stands now. Yeah. Right? So she's she willingly let herself be sucked under by the aliens and had sex with the aliens, I guess. Uh, that's the way it has to be interpreted, at least figuratively speaking. And then um, a, a son to her is born. Right. <laughs> um, and uh, from then on, I'm at least, well, at least I know that she has this like maternal connection to this ugly ass alien guy uh but before that i don't know i don't know where she stands and i don't know i'm starting to even it's time for the aliens to just come interrupt the situation so you don't have to think about it and everybody can jump into the water right which i uh, 
here's the f- best part of the movie. I think far and away the best sequence of the movie is this water underwater sequence. It actually works. I um it looks great. There's fun action beats. I do think that like you and I immediately said, "Oh, now there's acid in the water." Which acid is all important all the time. Every yeah. time acid comes out, but there's no acid in the water apparently because it doesn't affect anyone. It must, the I, water must dilute it so much that it doesn't affect anybody. I'll tell you just a very quick story, personal experience Uh-oh. involving acid. I I uh, used to put you know sealant on roofs, like tin uh-huh. roofs, like for a summer when I was very young, as a summer job, and you get this tar all over you, and the only way to get the tar off is with kerosene, right? So right. you just get. And I did that. I got all the tar off and then decided to take a bath, forgetting that I still had kerosene on my body. And it took about five seconds for me to feel the burn of the kerosene on certain parts of my body. (laughs) This very personal story. Wow. But it does not take very long for dilution to occur. Right. So if there was acid in that water, how did they not have. People going, ah, like reacting to, we got to get out of this water now. It would have been an added beat, an uh-huh. added action beat, raise the stakes. Right. You're always on about the acid, and yet you miss this completely. Yeah, you're right. Um, that's a little frustrating. But anyway, <laughs> sorry sorry to all those who had to hear my too much information story about that. But just to give you, like, that's how it works. And it's kind of weird that they missed that opportunity. But um I do like it. Like they get, tra- it's a trap. Uh, you know, all the things that happen. Everything there works pretty well. Yeah. Up until the point that um, Eddie the Dane, Jay Freeman's character, Marcellus uh, Santos. I just think of him as every other character he's ever been. When he shoots, call. I don't get it. Do you get it? No, I have Somebody no idea why. Only me. he does it so that, that so that we can think she's dead and she can come back a few minutes later because. It's such a, it makes no sense, even for the villain. Why her? Why now? Isn't he in a better position still being with these people? These people aren't actively trying to kill him. Yeah. Isn't he? It's, we talked about it. Here's where they're ticking a box, but it doesn't make sense. Because what they clearly said here was, this is the Burke moment. This is the, Burke runs away and closes the door behind them and leaves it. Burke had a really good reason even though it was obviously still wrong-headed of him he's panicking because he's been busted and he's he's like i'm gonna get away throw everybody under the bus that's not what's happening here right Uh this in this case this guy is much better off having these these like pirates with guns helping him protecting him including one of the soldiers that's on his side up to this point right yeah um i just didn't get it like as soon as he shoots her i'm like why what why doesn't make any sense and then the movie completely loses me again and all yeah also we can get this reveal is that what it is to set up so she's she can dead save then she says now him. she's alive yeah oh the, how could she be alive oh she's a synthetic oh, it's like none of that you got to earn that stuff people you don't just get reveals you don't just get twists you have to earn them yeah. for them to work and that does not work i mean it's just nothing to me I, I feel nothing in that moment because it was all the fa- on a foundation of silliness yeah. uh, wrongheadedness yeah i think i think that's i think that's true and and this was one of those moments where uh at there's this uh b- right before he kills her there's kind of this orgy of self-destruction of uh, or, or orgy of destruction in slow motion of all of the eggs and one more series of slow motion 
things being destroyed. And that, I stopped for a minute and thought, so is that the pleasure that the movie really is? It is it more invested in explosions and just visual carnage than it is in suspense or raising the stakes or uh, clever, clever, clever moves. And it likes moves, but they're not very clever. So the move of him shooting call is not a very clever move, right? Doesn't seem to be interested in moments at all and in terms of, you know, emotional moments where things land on characters. Uh, but, but yeah, it's like, it's almost like um, a bad greatest hits album, you know? Like, I guess that's mm -hmm. a contradiction because we'd have to find It's like really... greatest hits volume two. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's, it's, they're so determined that we check all the boxes and that we do all the things that we've done in all the other Alien movies that we're really not going to think about anything else. And it's a very cynical way of looking at, mm -hmm. at, at, a, at, at a sequel. At a point where, unlike in the 60s when you made each sequel for less money, like the Planet of the Apes movies, hoping that you know, it would do, do a little bit less business, we've now reached the point in the 90s where the idea of a sequel is it needs to do more business than the pre predecessor. And so somehow thinking that they can check all the boxes was going to spell a hit is... And I believe there's one man and two movies responsible for this. And that's James Cameron and Aliens and Terminator 2. And here's the difference. James Cameron knows what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> he knows how to take an idea and actually raise the stakes, both in the storytelling, in the character development, and in the technology and uh, uh, you know craft of making a film. So he sees Alien. He knows, he's the, he knows he can't outdo Ridley in what he did, so he changes the genre. And he does what he does really well using some of the same ideas. Terminator 2, he takes his own movie and says, look, I can get a real budget for this. I want to break ground with special effects with this budget. So he does. And it creates a very interesting, like, where the Terminator, how do you beat the Terminator as a villain, right? Like, it's an unstoppable machine. It's a perfect villain, right? It doesn't care about anything, all so on and so forth. Well, you got to then make a Terminator that can kill that Terminator. That's that's just smart, right? And this and, is, makes me think of your Ripley as bad guy suggestion right. that that probably is where it should have right. Really and she could have actually had and there all the superhero elements could have been super villain elements that make it really hard for our heroes yeah. to come out on top in the end. They have to come up with something. Does does Ripley get sucked through the hole, a pinhole in the window? I don't think you want to do that no she can still redeem herself <laughs> well, she know, could redeem a, herself as a, maybe as a villain the human part of the of the ripley clone can right. triumph over the alien part of or the sacrifice ripley. herself yeah. even but nevertheless the this movie and then myriad sequels probably before even before and definitely since have had that problem of not really knowing you just throw money at it you make it bigger but you don't really have come up with any new ideas or do characters yeah. that are i don't know I, it's it's funny to watch most uh, sequels are remakes they're not sequels they're kind they're of remakes true. yeah not true sequels yeah so, uh, so well speaking of that speaking of a, a a retread remake whatever so we come to find that call is in fact a synthetic human uh she's a toaster oven actually as as one of our characters a toaster mentions. oven i mean such a perfect um appliance that it's still relevant like 400 years from now that's fine a little like the tv series ironsides yes that's the 
by far the worst uh, reference in this movie where he refers to, uh, Perlman refers to Pinion's character as Ironsides. Come on. Even in 97, a lot of people didn't know what Ironsides was. <laughs> it wasn't that popular of a show. Um, Stephen Hawking. There's all kinds of people you could have referenced that right. might have made more right. sense. Right. Anyway, That's true. Um, well, I guess this was this point where I noticed once we know that, that, uh, that call is an Android, uh, the a ring light appears in her eyes the same way as throughout right. Ripley has had this ring light in her pupils. So, so again, this is me, us not having done any research before the movie, but I do feel like I've heard the story that they purposefully got. This is way before podcast lights, you know, but it's same principle, a ring light. They placed it in Scorny Weaver's eye line to where it was always present in her pupil through the movie as a suggestion of this secondary like identity within her, like this alienness. So then as soon as I don't believe we see it earlier with call, but as soon as we find out that she is a synthetic, uh, we start to see it in, in um, Winona Ryder's eyes. And I think that's, that's cool. I'm, I'm with it. That's an interesting, subtle thing. Cause certainly I, I didn't notice it back when I first saw this movie. On I wish the big they could screen. have given her like a triangle light so that it was not the or, same yeah. as the person who has the alien inside of them. Yeah, but that's okay. Maybe, maybe it's a subtle difference. But. Subtle big, yeah, it's okay. Um, so as uh, this, this sort of second act ends as we are trying to make it to the ship and suddenly Ripley senses below her that there's a another presence, right? That the queen mm-hmm. is below her. And then, magically, miraculously, the floor falls out underneath her, and she tumbles down into this mass of aliens. Right? Yeah, is there an explanation for why the floor is it? Is it miraculous, or is it something? Reach? I I don't know. In that moment, I'm just like, what? what? Yeah. What just happened? What I don't know. Happened? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. So then, here's what we decided was probably the big sell. Where where the James Cameron drawing the dollar sign at the end of Alien. Whatever they did to sell the idea of Alien 3, which was like five different ideas that they finally laid it on one, right? In this case, it had to be, in this movie, Ripley fucks the alien, right? That's got to be the selling point of the movie. It feels like the only new idea in the movie, in a way. Like, the only big idea. Yeah. The big new idea. So it's like, well, she's dead already. Yeah, she's a cloned alien. Yeah, but the clone... That couldn't even in ninety seven wasn't a fresh idea, right? No, it was like, true. how do you there resurrect a dead right. character? Clone, you clone them, right? Yeah. So good point. So she's dead. The big idea of Alien Three might have been Ripley's got to die. I guess it was. They discussed it yeah. extensively. I even feel like didn't Weaver insist upon it? Yeah. Um. So here it's okay. How do we do a movie after she's dead, and make create another big idea? What's the big Ripley moment? Sex with the alien. So she's now she's reproducing with it. We don't see any like graphic right. sex or anything, but certainly the leg. It's almost it reminds me a little bit of uh, of Coppola's Dracula, like laying on the bed. Of the the oh, yeah. you yeah. know what I'm talking yeah, about yeah. The, the, the red the, sheets and the women are crawling yeah, across. It says so she just gets sucked down inside of a what is that? I I guess a a floor of aliens or whatever, and then she emerges and and this queen is impregnated with. So I don't know how to explain all this. Brad Dorf tried to explain it to yes, us. Yes, surrounded by dead, <laughs> by cocooned scientists, one of which is still alive, and 
It's Brad Dorf and we get the doing cl- his most weirdly Lynchian uh, readings, and uh, he, he reminds me of the Baron in Dune. Just there's something about it that's, that, or, or the other one that squeeze it up real neat or whatever. Some of those weird things oh, in, in, in the Dune. guy that's sucking the, the yeah the, yeah 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 um your but yeah I forget what he's saying as all this crazy stuff. But this is that. So we get the scientist, the scientist that's working with the uh, abomination. The scientific, like, they become fascinated with it at some point in their career. You know, if you want to do a backstory, but at some point in their career, they get fascinated with this. Oh, the xenomorph. Oh, the uh, the genetics of it, so on and so forth. And they become so obsessed that their life is. They're willing to forfeit their life for this like advancement of evolution. I feel like we see this a lot uh, nowadays. It's like a regular trope of the scientist care. He, he wants to get killed by it, it seems like, right? Doesn't right. he kind of seem to be like inviting it over? Yes. And when it bites on his head and kills him, he kind of seems to be giving into it. It's just one of those things that always, I don't know. I kind of, I don't know. I, I kind of cringe at it a little bit. I guess he's a mad, <laughs> I guess he's a you mad think? scientist. Yeah. I know he's a mad scientist. But I didn't really feel like he was that mad of a scientist earlier. He was scared of the alien earlier and torturing it. Yeah. So anyway, I'm not really sure if his character makes much sense. Also, the fact that he disappears for a literal hour, yeah, and he just comes back to give us all this expo- exposition is just clunky and just not good. Just not good. Just just not good. So where do we go from here? I'm trying to remember what the next. I, well, I'll we be get, honest. I start checking out of this movie. It was a little harder to hang on here. We do the get end. we do get a check the box of Ripley running through a corridor with lots of steam and and smoke all around. Um, and gets the incredible superhero jump across a cavern as she's the, chasm as she's trying to make her way to the to the. Uh, but did we skip? We probably skipped the ladder set piece. I think didn't we? Or is that coming up? Yeah. Oh, the ladder no goes all the way back. The ladder set piece goes all the way back to the water, right? Yeah, yeah, that's all part of the water. Thing, so right? there was the hanging on yeah, the yeah, guy. Yeah. I'm yeah. not really. We, neither of us were really sure why they were so certain that um, Ricochet Man was dead. Because he was very much alive. He'd been burned, but he was very much alive, obviously, to choose to cut himself free. Yeah. But falling in the water. And we, uh, and we know that in movies, that if you sure, fall I in guess. water, you're always going to survive if, you, if there's water. I guess because there's aliens down there. I yeah. don't know. But they gave up on him immediately. We never see him again, so I guess they were right. So now the objective is just to get to the ship, and the ship is going to take off, and we're going to get out, get out of the big or take the drop yeah, ship. Oh, they're on the way to earth we didn't even mention the fact that the ship's on the way to earth and there's this discussion of earth this is another point that bothers me we, so we're going all the way back beginning now. of the second Sorry. this is when they talked the, about earth at the beginning of this <coughs> third act i think ripley figures out the ship is moving because she's super powered right. and can feel the ship move then they figure out uh marcella santos figures out that it's going to earth and then everybody groans earth that place oh what a shithole well, we got to stop it from going to Earth. Well, which one is it? Right. That bothers me. <laughs> do we want to save the shithole? Is it a shithole or not? <laughs> do we want to save the shithole or not? Yeah. Well, how about we, how about what the joke, the great joke would have been is he's insistent it's a shithole and everybody else wants to save it. And then they land at the end. Instead of just having it end, they land at the end and it's some sort of like um, what the liberals want paradise. It, it's actually this wonderful place, but he hates it he because hates it's it. like, oh, everybody's uh, everybody can read. Everybody's <laughs> all these healthy. smarty pants and all thinking they're yeah. better than me. Yeah. What a shithole. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, so that going back to that. So then so we got that's where we're at in the movie. Now it's a 
The ticking clock is the ship is on its way to Earth. We can't let it land there with these aliens or everybody's dead. We've established that. We're going to take the drop ship back and to... then we're going to blow the rest of the ship up with the rest of the aliens on it. Yes. So we're going to take the drop ship. The drop ship, yeah. And so we'll get into the that. Betty. And then uh, the Betty. And um, something's wrong with the hatch. So they get, so they manage to get in. Ripley makes her superhero jump, which she makes. Remember, uh, just to point out a difference between like the heroes, successful heroes versus Indiana Jones doesn't make that jump. He has to hold on for dear life, right? Like he doesn't quite make it. I've noticed recently, twice I've seen two Tom Cruise movies. One was Oblivion, and the other is one of the is Mission Impossible Three. He doesn't make it either. Ethan Hunt. He's not quite a superhero, right? He is, but he isn't right. quite. Here, total superhero. She's Easy. absolutely making the jump. It's yeah. just not Easy. as interesting. No. And you again, you're missing. I know it's cliche to be hanging off the cliff, but you're missing a suspense beat. That's why they use it so much, people. Right. I know it could be annoying to you, but you add, you want more obstacles and things, and it just doesn't happen here. She just makes the jump. And then everybody's happy to see her. Ron Perlman, it's the weirdest character moment. He's like, hey, Ripley, I made it. It's like, you like her now what is it you like anyway so you're right so the next box that gets checked off is hey the hatch isn't quite closed well i closed it well guess what bishop i mean (laughs) guy soldier guy you're not gonna make it out of this one and it's like come on at that point it becomes the checking of the boxes just sucks all the suspense out of it like come up with something else come up with some other way in which I don't know. At this point, though, it's the is this the curse of the fourth movie? You're out of kind of out of ways to make this work. Yeah, we I don't should know. say that this this new alien has great big baby eyes. Oh, it's and, so cute sometimes. And looks a bit like Rawhead Rex from that Clive Barker movie, right. except with baby eyes. And and it 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 loves its mother, and she seems to love it back. And uh, I just wanted to mention that, that it's uh, every time you go close on this thing with these big old round eyes, you're supposed to kind of go, oh, well, I guess. The one moment where, so um, the guy from Clear and Present Danger, I don't know what his character's name was, but the soldier character that makes it to the end, um, almost. Almost. He goes to close the door. He seems to be expecting something. He's got gun raised when he comes in. It's an interesting choice. Because you would think that the idea was that he's like, oh, just got to go close the door. Right. Anyway, call comes in. I don't remember why, but she witnesses his head get squashed by the alien. And then there's this sort of like um, Sarah Connor-esque. She hides and it's barely out of reach. And it gives her, it looked, for a second it gave me the look, it gave us her the look that my dog gives when he goes to the food bowl and drops down on the floor with his face down on the floor looking up at me. He really gives her this puppy dog look. Yeah. Why? What? Is he conflicted? I don't understand exactly what they're trying to get. It makes sense when he does it to Ripley because it's like, hey, mom. Right. Appeal to mom. Is, she, is he trying to appeal to her? But then he immediately grabs at her again. So I guess the only the only trick is that the monster uh, does actually close the hatch. The monster is the, the one monster closes, closes the hatch. hatch. So yeah, cause, so it understands that, you know. It wants to get to Earth, I guess. Is that what it... I guess. I guess. It wants to stay with its mom. Stay with its mom and get to Earth. Me and, mom, me and you will take over the Earth, I yeah. guess. I don't know. Trying to think of this thing's motivation is kind of weird. But, uh, yeah, so... Inevitably, Ripley, inevitably, Ripley and the monster have their confrontation. Yeah, does she sense it? or do, I'm trying to remember everything that happens here at the end that motivates 
how does she get into this like hatch do you think loading area do you think there's too many notes mozart is that the problem that we can't remember any of this thing because there's just there's one thing after another after another after another and we never know whether it's a continuation or we're meanwhile back at the ranch or whether we're on on any kind of a goal that's being well I'll, I'll 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 counter that i'll say that it's i think it's more that we just don't care enough at this point i i started checking out there comes a point where a movie gets long of the tooth yeah if you're not invested in the characters um without giving anything away about it there are so many moving parts in the big action climax of the new top gun movie yeah but i could tell you all of them right now every single one of them exactly why it was important right because they built that movie correctly that movie is built very well gets to a point where I know who all the characters are, I know what their motivation is, and I know, and it's just cut really well, and I know everything that happens in the end of that movie because I cared enough once I got there to pay attention and, yeah. and take it all in. Yeah. And there's just something about attachment to characters and attachment to the story that just helps you track things. And he, at this point, I'm kind of looking at my watch too much, maybe literally, <laughs> To keep up with all of it, I, I, I'm just yeah. at this point. It probably is less complicated. This is probably considerably less complicated than the action, the third act of Top Gun Maverick. Yet, I remember the details of that much better than I do this movie. And I just saw this movie just now. Yeah, I don't remember why. Uh, that's what's so what amazing is how back hard the, it is to hold this movie in my head when I yeah. just finished watching it. Just because it, you just never get on. It's never on the rails. Yeah, it never really feels on the rails. So. Like the little points where you feel like something's going on, like the underwater sequence or something, you're like, hey, this isn't so bad. That's about the most you're going to get. Yeah. And so anyway, Ripley ends up in the room. I can't remember if she has a psychic link thing happen or what takes her back there. She hears something, but she goes back there and there's this moment of doubt like, oh, that's my son. And they even kiss kind of, yeah, right? The, the alien licks her. And Lixer, I, yeah. Was that a CGI? That was such a confusing effect. Because it, it felt like she was composited into the shot with it. Like it, They looked like they weren't in the same room for a second. But then the tongue stuff all kind of looked like it was yeah. practical. Yeah. I don't know. But nevertheless, um, they they how did this manage to happen? How does she the blood get on the, the window? Oh, the blood gets on the window. That's yeah. what it was. I couldn't even see. I couldn't even remember how the window gets broken. So um, here's the classic question. If if this thing is the vacuum of space and the pressure um, being broken, the pressurized cabin being uh, breached. Punk breached, is so powerful that it can suck an entire like, living creature, a giant creature, that thing's like 10 foot tall, through a hole how do you just hold on to a strap and you're okay? <laughs> it just bothers me. It's like she finally comes up with the idea to strap herself in. That's that, that kind of needed to happen first, right? Like, and I would have, you know, what I would have had a lot of respect and believed it because she's an android that she would have thought of it. as soon as she saw that blood hit the window, she would have thought of it and said Ripley, and that's when she tells her strap. Then I can believe because Ripley, I right? Mean, hell, Ripley herself does it. In the first damn movie, right? She straps her. She sits down and straps herself in because she knows it's gonna. It's gonna anyway. happen. Right. Why not? The, yeah. That's a box you could have checked that would have yeah, helped. That would have. You don't yeah. check that box. And this checks the Goldfinger box instead. The Goldfinger box. Yeah. Suck Goldfinger out of the out of the out of the plane. Right. <laughs> so, anyway, this alien that 
hasn't really been plaguing them for any more than about 10, 15 minutes at the most. There's this big, like, it's they try to have this grace note at the end where it's very satisfying to see its, its tissue and innards flying out into space. And Ripley weeping In the same it. way, I guess Ripley, she kind of weeps over it for a second, and then she's over it. Yeah. Um, but it's supposed to feel like the end of Alien, like when right. she sends it out. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but yeah, I mean, you just haven't you just haven't built up any goodwill to get a, get any feeling out of that, or I don't know, man. It, it, at this point in the movie, I'm just like, yeah, that didn't work. None of this worked, and and so we get to Earth, but really, after we get a pretty terrible um, atomic blast. Oh uh, my God, that, that's one of the and worst. And then effects. we end with just seeing all the clouds above Earth, and so we don't really see what what earth is like we just see a bunch of clouds and and then we're we're finished yeah it just felt like they kind of there's not really much of an ending and apparently this. the third act in earlier drafts was that it actually got to earth and there was a whole thing that happened on earth as they were trying a to predator two kind of thing yeah. or... and they wisely said that's really not an it's too for a third act 20 minutes 25 minutes that's not the right move so you know, then there was going to be yet another sequel where it was all going to be on Earth, but that never happened. And then the Predator Alien thing happened. Always trying to get this thing on Earth. Which well, now the TV series, right? Isn't that? Didn't I hear something about that? Noah Hawley's, isn't yeah. it? Um, yeah, supposedly it all takes place on Earth and not too far from now. Uh huh. So doesn't that? Now I don't let I don't let sequels or prequels affect my enjoyment of the original right. product. But doesn't that kind of like suck the life out of some of the stakes like we can't let it get to earth stakes that come up from time right, to time you would think it would have to be after all of these movies if it was going yeah, to take just, i don't know well, the, i you know no holly's a pretty smart guy i think he could probably come up with a good way to do it I, I don't know but um maybe we can talk about that as on the regular feed yeah when, when the new oh i think happens. for sure yeah i think we absolutely have to talk yeah. about that so anyway um, that that sort of brings us to the end of of alien resurrection uh, for those of you who wished this would happen, well, be careful what you wish for because you just got it. Hey, I, I think we gave it a fair shake. We, gave it, we did. We were. We didn't. Come on. It just, it, it, I'll put a poll up. When we put the episode out, I'll put a poll up on the Facebook. Like, who actually thinks this is a good movie? I think some people are more interested in just hearing us talk about it. Not so much that they're fans of it. I know there's some people that are fans of it. I think for the most part, we're all in agreement that it, it didn't work. Right. Right. That's probably, uh, so I think that's probably true. I think that's probably true, too. But we'll find out. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody. Um, and and keep your eyes open for more more things along on the feed. We're going to try to try to get uh, back into the saddle and address some more alien movies. Yeah. Movies sure. with aliens in them. And maybe some other stuff. We'll see. We're, we're, we got some things working and, and there's going to be more podcasts in the future. Um. I don't know how regularly, but we'll see. Anyway, keep your yeah, keep your podcasts. They keep subscribed and go to, come to the pace, Facebook page. Go t- tweet John. Where are they? Where at Alien Minute Pod is our Twitter. Uh, at 007 by Seven Pod is for, for the for the James Bond podcast. Um, yeah. And ABCDTOS. AB, yeah, ABCDTOS uh, is finishing up. We're right at the end of talking about every episode of the original series of Star Trek. We have, at, at the moment that we're recording this, I have we have one episode left to record of ABCDTOS, which should be out in a couple of weeks. It'll be Wolf in the Fold. Is that the Wolf, last one? Wolf in the Fold is the last Poor one. Poor Scotty. All yeah. right. We'll see y'all later. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.